Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that came out this week, and we're going to kick it off with a big one, The Other History of the DC Universe, number one from DC Comics, Woo-hoo-hoo. story by John Ridley, layouts by Giuseppe Camancoli, finishes by Andrea Cucci. So you could probably figure it out by the title here, as well as the cover. Uh, but this is obviously an alternate look at the DC Universe, mostly through the eyes of Black Lightning, at least in this first issue. We'll see where it goes in subsequent issues. As he slowly works through his career, sees himself and other characters of color kind of pushed to the side of the DC Universe in favor of other characters like Superman, Batman, uh, Green Lantern, learns something about himself, learns something about history, um, and mostly... It's told uh, through the images, of course, but also uh, told through prose. I don't think there's really any dialogue whatsoever in this issue uh, other than what's told in the narration boxes. Um, I thought this was pretty stunning and almost like a cross. This is probably too reductive, but a cross between a new frontier and the Mm. truth in a certain way. Um, Oh, yeah. What do you guys think about this book? Uh, I thought it was really touching, very powerful and moving, which was great. I really loved the like little Halloween thing that was beautiful. I, I, I just, yeah, I was I was really happy to see this comic. I'm glad that this comic was made. It's a long time coming, and I hope we get to see more of this. Uh, this is just great storytelling. Yeah, I mean, uh, just the the format, the art is so nice. It feels such like such a statement it feels like such a uh it sort of has this uh silver age vibe to it which i think gives it this uh, historical precedent it just feels so like something that'll that will be uh, on the shelf and in the conversation for a long time and then like the the otherness of it like the way that this that black lightning story keeps getting told um with the justice league and the glossier heroes as a counterpoint i think is is really interesting, and uh, like you said, Alex, the fact that um, uh, he and just uh, all the other like uh, black superheroes and, and black characters in this book get shoved to the side um, uh, throughout, like that really, it, you really feel it throughout and feel that drive for what makes uh, Black Lightning black, black Lightning. I cannot even imagine what it is like to read this book as a comic fan of color necessarily obviously because yeah. i am white but 
speaking as a white comic book reader, it is very hard to read from the perspective of Black Lightning looking at the other characters. And I don't know if you have this feeling, but I'm reading this and I'm like, but Superman's not like that. That's not what Superman's like. That's not Batman. And you feel, I felt these walls kind of building in me. Oh, look at you. You felt uh, attacked. Well, I not attacked. Attacked is absolutely the wrong word. But this feeling of trying to wrap your brain around how somebody else feels about these sort of things uh, is hard to do. And that's, I think, part of the point of the book, because by the end, you do get Jefferson Pierce starting to understand a little bit more of the war at wider world, bring down some of those walls himself and accept these things while still understanding that his experience is ultimately going to be intrinsically different uh, from a lot of other characters in this universe. So it really brings you in in that way as well. And like you said, Pete, there are multiple times I got choked up just almost hitched, like is the best word for it, when something just snuck up on you in the book, these moments of strong emotion um, throughout, which I was very surprised about. And the other thing you were mentioning about the art, Justin, feels almost Neil Adams-like to me, without Mm -hmm. being exaggerated, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, uh, totally agree. It's it's, it's a great book. I And there, I think there are, what, uh, four more issues, and this is Mm -hmm. coming up bi-monthly, I want to say. Yeah, I'm very wait. curious. I haven't read ahead about it, but I'm very curious to see whether it follows Black Lightning's story throughout, which would make sense, and it's essentially a Black Lightning book, or if it's going to switch perspectives in issue I, two. I think it jumps around a little bit and touches on different characters. But what another thing about this, the amount of continuity that is touched on here, and really like owning uh, owning it um, when it's like some of it is like ridiculous, but really making it a part of this very real story, I think is great. There's a uh, Reagan pin with the Watchmen blood splatter on it, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. Great book. Definitely pick this one up. Next up, Monstrous Talk Stories, number one from Image Comics, written by Marjorie Liu, illustrated by Sina Takata. Um, I got to admit, I have not read Monstrous in a while, even though I really enjoy this book. The art is consistently gorgeous. But this takes place in a fantasy world with some half um, uh, fursonas, I guess I would call them. Yeah, uh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Great yeah. use of that word that just came up. <laughs> that was really organic and natural. Thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate it. Uh, Tip but in of this the book, uh, we find a backstory on one of the characters. Um, it's sweet. It's sad. It's harrowing. The character designs are great. Um, I like this book quite a bit. Uh, what'd you guys think? I agree. I like this a lot. Uh, there's some fun cooking. Um, the, the cooking is really used as a great uh, moment in this story. Um, and this reminded me, I mean, it's such a, when I was a kid first, like the sort of furry ears on a human head uh, was in Super Mario Brothers 3. That mm-hmm. uh, was the first time I encountered that. And to know that that's such a thing, I was like, what an interesting thing. And to know that's such a thing in uh, in manga and everything was uh was a revelation. And now here we are, three guys sitting in our own Tanuki suits recording a podcast. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, you Metaphor. know, they br- they bring up an interesting question. What's your favorite meal you've ever had? I mean, I think that's a great, great question to kind of put out there. Yeah, I guess and also, which, gar- I think which garbage plate do you like the most? <laughs> also, the, the art and the storytelling is really superb. Uh, art it's is very... very uh, complicated, kind of cool story that we're kind of thrown into here, and uh, it's really cool. 
Uh, let's move on and talk about Power Pack number one from Marvel, okay, written yeah, by Ryan you, Nor- you can ignore my question. That's cool. That's oh, cool. oh, you were asking favorite about meal. best meal we ever had? Favorite yeah. meal you've ever had, yeah. Favorite meal. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you offer up your favorite meal, or did Justin just say garbage plate? You're like, yeah, yeah, fuck you. No, Justin <laughs> just made a joke about garbage plates, but you know that wasn't anybody. Nobody's answered it yet. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you want me to go? No, I can go. Uh, right. So on... My honeymoon, uh, we went to, yeah, on my honeymoon, uh, we went to London and Paris and particularly in Paris, we were like, you know what? We're not going to look at any guidebooks. We're going to wing it. We're just going to like, we're not going to make any reservations. We're just going to wander around. We're going to find places. And we consistently made the worst choices in terms (laughs) of restaurants, just like absolutely uh, just the tourist (laughs) trap and just not good spots. And it was obvious as soon as we sat in there, we were like, oh, this is, oh, this is bad. Bad. One of the last Look, I days, heard Paris TGI Fridays is actually one of the best yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, they actually call it TGI Fridays. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I couldn't wow. think of any I other really French words. Oh, merci. That. It's a MGI Fridays. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we were having a t- not a, we were having a great time, but eating not great food, which you would expect in Paris. Uh, and one of the last days, one of the things that we really like to do was just like get some lunch and sit down at the Louvre in the park outside, which is this beautiful park and just eat the lunch. And we uh, stumbled across this place called Maison de Truffe, which is a ridiculously expensive uh, truffle, black truffle restaurant. Mm. Um, and everything in there, insanely expensive. We could not afford to sit down and eat, but they had a to-go thing outside. And the cheapest thing that they had was a baguette, with some uh, truffle butter and sausage on it, and then a tiny little thing of champagne, just like this big. And there was a sack of things which we called basically fancy combos because they were essentially (laughs) just like little wafers with cheese inside. And we took those and sat at the Louvre and had this meal, and it was the best meal I had in Paris, hands down. But also one of the best meals I've ever had. Just everything was ridiculously delicious. There you go. That's great. Great answer. And you're I'm still gonna... married to this day. No, we got divorced. That was my first wife. Oh, yeah, the wife we don't talk about. Bad. The my French bad. woman he married for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, people get married for all sorts of reasons. I, you know, lunch is, you know, you, lunch is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach, uh, maritally. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give it up for my mom's taco dip. Um, Ooh. Uh, very good. Um, just, I'm also uh, going to give it up for your mom's taco dip. <laughs> oh, my God. What just happened? Wow. Oh, um, oh my but God. I'll go, I'll go international as well with Alex. Um, I was in Japan. I was traveling by myself, and um, I was hiking. I got off the uh, Shinkansen uh, bullet train right mm-hmm. at the, near Mount Fuji and w- just wandered around. It was January. It was very cold. I would... He was not dressed appropriately. There's a guy who was selling some sort of soup at a stand just like on this side road. Got that soup, ate it sitting on like a rock. Great meal. Nice. Wow. Nice. Pete? Uh, so uh, I'll share too the uh, travel one and regulation one. Um, regulation. There was this uh, seafood place uh, outside of Pauly's Island in South Carolina, and it's called Frank's. I don't think it's there any longer. And they named it Frank's because uh, three chefs went in uh, to create this restaurant, and one of the chefs' name was Frank, 
And when it was time to sign the deal, this guy, Frank, completely disappeared and left them. Uh, but they started the restaurant anyway. And they had this amazing uh, blackened mahi-mahi. And in the kind of like bar area um, where we were hanging out as a family, um, I played my dad for my dinner in this little ring game. It's a, like a giant ring attached to a, a fish line. And uh, and I won the game and uh, got to order anything I wanted off the menu. So it was pretty it was pretty cool. And that uh, that was it was really delicious. So I don't I, know if it was extra good because I won, but it was really quite. Yeah, good. I think the meal you had that day was victory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in uh, Costa Rica, um, uh, I had gone through a lot of crazy events where um uh, I was uh, dating this person. Uh, I wasn't dating him. Uh, we were we were kind of there together on this trip, and then uh, she got uh, robbed. And then I was meant to uh, went to go meet up with my other friends, and we went on this kind of like tour of the sanctuary. And these monkeys robbed this couple that I was with, <laughs> and I had to. Uh, uh, I was didn't like they were going to kind of like uh, uh, pay for me for a little bit because uh, I was low on funds. I spent a lot of money early drinking. You know what that's like, Justin. And yep. um, get the all inclusive. Yeah. And so uh, I was kind of just I had nothing to do. So I was just kind of walking around Costa Rica and I stumbled across this place called the Son- Sunset Hotel. And I walked around the corner and uh, right like. There, as the sun is setting, is this Italian dude, and I was like, I walked around the corner, and this guy goes, hey, how you doing? And he made me a fresh pizza, and it was phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) Man, there were so many different places that story could have gone. I was not predicting the end of it. Costa Rican pizza. There was a point when I thought maybe your uh, thing was going to be you ate the monkeys for vengeance. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not above it. The no, day you had that day was vengeance. Yes. Uh, I think that reviews that comic book. Yeah, Next up, definitely. Power Pack number one from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Nico Leon. Uh, this is tying into the much belated outlawed event where all the teen heroes in the Marvel Universe are not allowed to practice superheroism. Uh, but it's also bringing back together Power Pack for the first time in a while in their new iterations. Uh, I do think very smartly they aged them down quite a bit in this book. Um, yeah. They've been aged up to be like, we're cool teens and some of us are adults and it's a little unclear. So bring them back to basics while not ignoring the continuity is very smart. And this is Ryan North. It's very funny. It's fun. It feels like old Power Pack. It's meta and winky throughout i enjoyed this book quite a bit but i'm also definitely in the tank for it what was your guys takes uh there was my favorite part is we interrupt this broadcast of jazz for middle class dinner parties to bring you breaking news that was really funny ryan north's Um, a funny writer it's great to see him on this book um i i put him in the same bucket as like mark russell as like anytime you see them on the book like it's it's consistently funny which is hard yeah Yes, but Sorry, I interrupted you, Pete. You could no, that was the only positive thing Pete wanted to say. Justin, what do you think about this one? No, I loved it. Uh, it was great, super fun. Power Pack Kids are fun, especially with the, the comedic angle. The art's very good. I'm curious how this Outlawed event um, is going to play out. It does feel super disjointed, and it's sort of the same thing over and over again where these teen heroes suddenly are arrested. So 
I feel like this will be a fun version of it. Yes, I agree. Uh, next up, The Department of Truth, number three from Image Comics, written by James Town the Fourth, art by Martin Simmons. Uh, in this issue, we're continuing to follow our conspiracy fighters, is I guess what we can call them. Uh, basically, conspiracy theories aren't real, but if you believe hard enough, they will become real. And this one, they are tackling gun control and crisis actors uh, and false flags and things like that. And man, it's very well done. Very hard yeah. to read at points. But just like the main characters find it themselves, uh, there's a lot of conflicting emotions that go on here, I think. I love this book so much. I agree with you completely, Alex. And this issue especially, like, there's so much reality in this comic like uh, in the hard part is i don't know how many people who read this have know about all these conspiracy theories and the insanity that is spun around them um this one i happen to know a lot about because i worked on a show called the opposition with jordan klepper which was about this uh jordan was playing this conspiracy driven uh host and so we dealt a lot in this world and alex jones who this book is this issue is sort of like uh, drawing upon, who's like a very uh, bad uh, grifter person. Um, we had to do so much paying attention to him as he descended into this madness. Um, so this was especially, I was like, uh, I was like reliving all of the actual news stories that were happening back like three, four years ago. Yeah, uh, this is really cool. It's it's very interesting. Artistically, it's really, really impressive what they're doing here with the different art styles meshing. Um, it is a little tough to kind of understand what is happening a little bit. Um, uh, but I... Um, I didn't appreciate the the kind of like oh I took improv classes so I'm good at lying I thought that was a little heartbreaking but no, so just just to clarify what's happening is probably as far as we can tell in real life this woman's son was killed in a school shooting yes then this organization Black Hat which we don't know why but it's teased that we're going to find out a lot more next issue is trying to make conspiracy theories come to life, they drop off a film that whether it's uh, fabricated or it's real or whatever it is, that seems to convince this woman that not only is her son alive, but he may be, but she may actually be an actor who is an improv actor. So the entire thing was faked and it starts to change the reality around her. So she doesn't know it's real, and she doesn't know it's faked. And what I think it does really nicely emotionally, particularly through the art, as you mentioned, is it plays on this idea of this fractured psyche that uh, you, I imagine you're going through when you deal with unimaginable uh, tragedy like the death of a child. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that this, uh, the the premise of the book that these consp this group is uh, is able to manifest these conspiracy theories when she gets this flash drive with these uh, these facts these alternative facts on them. It, this book is so smart. It's so current. It's just one of my favorites on the stands right now. What happens when a robotic overlord imprisons a rant god and a humble narcissist? You get this week's sponsor of Comic Book Club, the Just Been Revoked podcast. Join Chris G., Tom Legacy, and Mr. Race as they discuss the origins, the ends, and everything in between of all things film. 
Episodes are released weekly on Apple, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. Looking for a film podcast that has fun and doesn't take things too seriously? Then check them out at JustBeenRevoked.com. Let's move on and talk about Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Multiverse Who Laughs, number one from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder, James Town IV, Joshua Williamson, Patton Oswalt, Amanda Connor, and Jimmy Pambiati, Saladin Ahmed, and Brandon Thomas. Art by Juan Gideon, Chad Hardin, Scott Eaton, and Thomas Mandrake. So, this is an anthology uh, that Robin King is telling, uh, basically saying, blah, 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 you've heard all of these dark versions of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman before. How about a couple of other dark multiverses? What would you think about that? So, we get to see three of them in this book. Uh, what do you think about this comic? Well, you know, it's a collection of stories, so, like, some of them are a little better than others, but it's fun. It's like, you know, the Condiment King and all that kind of stuff, so... I, you know, I, I thought the, it's interesting enough. It's definitely like uh, turning it up like the uh, dark metal stuff has been doing. So death metal stuff has been doing. So I thought this was kind of a cool uh, book to put out as far as like, hey, we're going to kind of like let some other writers get uh, do some stuff on this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good mix. Um, I really liked the first a bit, the Scott Snyder sort of... Um, just bucket of like random uh, worlds where bad things happen to our favorite heroes. And the Pat Oswald story I thought was great. Um, fun sort of uh, Mr. Zaz, right, is the uh, the villain here and like what it's like for him um, trying to uh, be the cool villain in Arkham and the consequences of that. It was, it was cool. I this is definitely in my mind one of the lesser books in this event. Everything else feels yeah. so necessary and interconnected. Um, I love the idea of having Elseworlds that follow not the big three that follow just more side stories, and I'd love to see more of that. Um, but overall, I thought this comic book was fine. Uh, I think to your point. I like the Robin King stuff. I thought Jimmy Pabiotti and Amanda Cotter, of course, put together a fun story. Um, but uh, just so you know, they usually do. What? They usually do. They usually do. But it does do. not feel like something you necessarily need to read to understand the It's a little event. bit of the lighter side. Yeah, it's yes. just a fun. Exactly. Yeah, it's a fun collection of ideas. It's like a and little stories. Dave Barry novel. Right. <laughs> That's what I'd say as well. <laughs> Nailbiter returns number seven from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art yeah. by Mike Henderson. Uh, here we're literally getting into the beat of the issue as they delve further into Buckaroo, into this game that's being played by the new Buckaroo Butchers. Uh, and we get a bunch of psychedelic stuff, a trip to the past, some revelations, some promise of future revelations. I'm really enjoying what they did with this series, and it feels entirely different from what they did with the previous one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's really creative. Uh, the art's fantastic. Uh, they do such a good job of pulling you into this world and kind of like with their storytelling. And I, I just was really impressed with this. Um, uh, it does a good enough job or moving the story enough where you know a little bit about what's happening. Uh, to kind of follow along and not feel like, oh, I don't get it, you know. Uh, it walks that kind of crazy line really well. Um, but, man, just the art and the characters are just insane in all the right ways. 
Um, the use of like blood rain and then that skull who's just like puking blood on the pyramid is just insane. Yeah, I love the sort of dream sequence um, aspect of this book. It feels so deliberate um, to yeah. come right now, sort of like seeding out a bunch of like wild ideas that then they can call upon going forward. The art's so good. Like, I've been a huge fan of Birthright, also by Joshua Williamson, and this feels like if you read that and haven't read Nailbiter, like, it's definitely worth getting in on Nailbiter. Oh, man, that's what I should have said for that uh, lock and key question. Oh, on the live show? Birthright would have been great. Messed up, man. Messed up. Next up, this is what I put in the stack to make Pete feel a little bit better. Daredevil number 24 from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Mike Hawthorne. Um, Pete, you're you're not in your head. No, do you not feel better after this comic book? Well, this is a rough issue, man. I was so excited uh, that we got uh, Daredevil in our stack, but then of course it's you know a sad issue, and I was like, oh, why? This is why Zalbin put nope, this in. No, one hundred percent not. Foggy is funny. Foggy's bad at his and, job. Uh, you know what's different the- about usual? Oh. It feels like pretty status quo for our man, Mister. No, this is not status quo. Also, there's too many people who look like Daredevil. I don't know what the fuck is going on. His twin. Sure. Uh, So Daredevil is on trial for murder, something that he is willingly doing. Uh, We also get, which I thought was interesting, and I want to get your beat on, a uh, kingpin shower scene in this (laughs) issue. Uh, How'd you feel about that? That's something fans have been asking for for a long time. You got to truly see the kingpin here. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy I mean they always do that in the comics With the well placed uh, You know like steam or fog It's a little foggy you know, in my shower. The, uh... Yeah in my shower Foggy Nelson Is standing in front of my um, My genitals <laughs> all the time <laughs> that's, that's smart, that's um, smart. Uh, I thought this was really good And I loved where this ended up Justin, I agree um, I like uh, Chip Zdarsky's really bringing all of the Daredevil characters um, That sort of have the most emotional stakes Here together um, You got your Typhoid Mary, your Kingpin um, uh, We don't see uh, Many other of Daredevil's love interests, but only because they're dead. Uh, but his current love interest, um, we see Elektra here, um, uh, Foggy, his, uh, I guess, friend, friend of me in a lot of ways. Fuck you. That's his, that's his friend. Yeah, that well, he treats I'm like excited shit. to see where this goes going forward uh, because it has the potential to really redefine yeah. the Marvel Universe. How do you feel about Daredevil wearing yeah. a suit and his costume? That's pretty weird, right? Yeah, that was weird, right? That's like when Nightwing wears a mask over his mask, and I'm like, choose one, buddy. Yeah. It's fine. Unnecessary for both. The suit over the suit feels, yeah. uh, in a very serious issue, it feels like goofy. Mm-hmm. It does. Also, how much it is does. he sweating? A, He's got to stink oh, wow. real bad. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's like a fake turtleneck situation where he doesn't have the full suit on. Also, I thought that. Suit, just I that thought he was just part. wearing the mask, but he's wearing the gloves as well. Oh, it's the full wow. suit, man. Yeah. It's the full suit. Yeah, double suit. Suit on a double suit. suit's yeah. a lot. Undiscovered Country number ten suit. from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Camicoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, we find out a whole lot more about Unity, 
the second zone of America, as well as what happened in the past as things rapidly start to fall apart there. It's a pretty horrific reveal at the end of the issue. It makes a lot of sense. Um, this is great, and I think we've been saying this a lot about this arc, but I finally feel kind of like I understand what's going on in this book, and that makes me feel a lot better. And it's interesting because I don't quite know. The story is just as complex. There's even more happening because our characters have split up a little bit. But what I think I it makes more sense is this arc is using more of um, like a metaphor in, in describing America. So I feel like that gives us a baseline mm-hmm. to really um, understand the different, <laughs> how the different aspects are coming together. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I didn't really think about it until you said it like that. But thinking about it, it's like, what does destiny, the first zone, mean to me? Well, you know, giant antler man, right on sharks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Versus here, the idea that, like, everybody is joining together, finding uh, unity uh, through the shared belief in science. Yes, that works a lot better. It's a lot easier to hook into, even if it's a... Yeah, but there's yeah. also giant whale sharks still in giant here, whale too. Sharks. So. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's yeah. just as many crazy also, specifics, may- but it, it's all under this one narrative line, I feel like. That's a little cleaner. Yeah. Under one nation. Um I I love the uh, man at arms shout out a little he man love in there that was just great it was fun to see um, yeah I do with each issue I become a little less confused which is great um, the art and the character designs are just phenomenal great kind of like last page reveal uh, this con- this continues to be a very interesting very well done book. Um, I'm just happy now that we're kind of getting a little bit more of a grasp on uh, what's actually happening. I, I don't want to call you out, Pete, but I feel like you've been confused about every issue that we've talked about in the stack this week. Was there <laughs> any we talked about that you were not confused about? Huh. <laughs> we should say you got hit on the head yeah, with an yeah. anvil yeah. right before you read the stack. Right. right? Oh, that's true. You think that affects? <laughs> you think that affects? Chew. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't affected by oh. chew. Or I was confused. Oh, okay. Chew. All right. Well, we'll get to that one in a moment. Then that's good. Uh, okay, and cool. Unkindness of Ravens, number three from Boob Studios, written by Pan Dampanosian, illustrated by Mariana Ignazzi. Uh, this is another one where we're getting to kind of the meat of everything that's going on. Uh, we have a new kid. You're really hungry. What? You're really hungry. You keep talking about uh, meat. sweet, delicious. Savory meat. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we're getting to the heart of the issue. How about that? Mm. Is that better? I love eating go. heart. Uh, where we're finding oh, out more delicious. about this town that our main character has moved to, the warring factions, what's going on behind the scenes. I continue to really like this book. I agree. I, I said this um, on the live show this week, but like this feels like such a, if you're a fan of the Sabrina um, TV series on Netflix, um, uh, which is not coming back for a little bit and you want something to fill the gap. Um, this book is great. It also feels like a good, if you're a fan of Lock and Key, which we talk about a lot, this feels like a nice spiritual successor to that book. It's just the characters are really fun. The art is great. There's this sense of dread um, hovering over everything. And uh, I don't really know. It's hard to predict where their story's going. It's witchy in the right ways and uh, sort of archy, uh, archy in the right ways as well. Yeah, uh, art's great. It's really fun. It's kind of nice that we're getting into this world and what's going on. Uh, And I think uh, in a cool way, that doesn't make me frustrated or confused about what's happening. Um, But I think it's 
it's it's very cool with like hinting at what happens and then they kind of reveal like the whole part where we're seeing these crows and then one is shot and then we kind of get to see that really impressed with that i'm uh i think it's a very cool story i'm excited to see how this is going to unfold and whether or not it's going to be like a a really uh, great comic that we hold up stands the test of time We'll see. Uh, next up, Last God, number 10 from DC Comics, written, created and written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Ricardo Frederici. Uh, this issue, we find out some big revelations about what happened back in the day at the Black Stair. Uh, we find out more about what's happening in the present. Uh, and it looks like some bad things are coming for our heroes or maybe are already there. Uh, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, this really starts off amazing. We got some great action, some cool ass dragon some shit. Cool ass dragon and then there's shit. just a lot of and then there's a lot of talking and then feelings and then stuff. But starts off really good. I'm excited to see where this goes. I think this is a very creative, cool book. Uh, I like this book a lot. The art is so lush and uh, just beautifully done. Um, it feels like a classic fantasy story. Uh, you know, you'd get like one little drawing on the on the cover or something. This feels like it's the that full art in that same style for the whole story, which is great. And what I love about it is it really plays with the tropes of legacy in fantasy books, where it's like the great heroes from the past, and now it's this generation's turn to fight. And this says, oh, maybe what if the first generation wasn't great? Um, how does that mm-hmm. influence everything? And it's just a, a smart take and a beautiful book. I agree. Uh, Next up, the books that did not confuse Pete. Chew number five from Image Comics, written by John Lehman and art by Dan Boltwood. This is the end of the first arc here, as uh, the two Chews are facing down all of Saffron's crimes have been revealed, and and, uh, things uh, do not go necessarily how you might expect. Yes, Pete? What's great is they picked up right where they left off last Mm -hmm. issue, you know. There's nothing worse than when you kind of build up to the standoff and then you cut away from it to have backstories, some shit. So this Ooh, was is that you, really Pete, or the great. continuity police coming for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Book it. Get out of there. They're, uh, they're going to yeah, have a I lot of questions go, that I, I think uh, you might be confused about answering. Let me be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, boy. Yeah, I like this. This is great kind of standoff brother-sister stuff. I, it's, this is really cool. Art's fantastic, and it's it's nice because it's it still feels like in the Chu world. Uh, the Chu universe also feels a little different. Good, good, good. Yeah, the Chu universe. Also, did you guys see the uh, just like it looked like a country uh, monkey riding a smoking lizard uh, walking by when she got out of jail? Oh, I think that I, I think that. that was actually um, in your apartment beyond the edge of the comic book. <laughs> No, it's there. I had to double check it. And also it looks like Sonic the Hedgehog was like just shot outside the prison. It's really cool if you look at the background stuff. Huh. Um, Wow. I like this book a lot. I was not a Chew uh, reader of the original series, and this is... Yeah, you weren't a Chew head. Um, uh, I really like this, though. It makes me want to go back and maybe read Chew because this is very good, very fun, and... I really like the character of Saffron. Um, the way that this story sort of positions the next move going forward, I think, was is great. I agree. Uh, next up, we're going to get into it here. We're going to talk about our final <laughs> X of Swords block 
as this big event, 22-part event is wrapped up here with three issues. Can we, what, Pete? Can't we just like finish off the stack before we get into this giant argument here? Sure, we can jump ahead. I had put the scumbag up last to like space out the image comics, but let's talk about the scumbag <laughs> number two in image comics written by okay, Rick Remender, art by bad. Andrew Robinson. Uh, this is about the worst man in the world, is the only one who could save the world. We find out more about him and his powers. He got it, he injected himself with some stuff that could save the world here. Uh, this is uh, very much positioning that there is no right way to go as we have a terrible guy needs to stop some potentially more terrible guys from doing some terrible stuff. Uh, just a fun book. Just a fun book. Doing some light political commentary here. Yes. Uh, so yeah. good. Rick Remender go writes people who fuck up better than anybody. Like, this feels like a great uh, successor to Fear Agent, um, one of uh, Rick's first mm-hmm. books that we loved way back in the day. Um, and the art by Andrew Robinson is so good, so like sort of 1970s uh, animated uh, influenced, it feels like to me. And I I think it's uh, just a fun book that has some real, like a lot of Remender's book, has some real commentary underneath, a bunch of jokes, and characters just uh, screwing up. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. The art's uh, like gross, but also light. It's it's really interesting the way they kind of walk this line of like, you hate this guy, but you're also rooting for him. Um, Yeah, I think it's, it's very well done, very creative. Rick Remender uh, is does a, a fun balance of like tripped out, but also like uh, not too tripped out, where you kind of feel like it. That's all it's doing. I, I'm just really impressed with. There's a lot going on in this comic. There's a lot being kind of dealt with, and uh, it does it seamlessly in a way that's fun and moving the story forward. And it doesn't feel rushed. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm impressed with this book. I'm excited to see how Rick Remender is going to break our hearts with some of these characters, because uh, he always does. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun to talk to him about them about this uh, next yes. week. Yeah, there you go. All right, for real now, we're going to wrap up with our X of Swords block. X-Men number 15 from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman and Mahmoud Az- art by Mahmoud Azrar. Uh, Excalibur number 15, written by Tini Howard, art by Mahmoud Azrar and Stefano Caselli. And finally, X of Swords or Ten of Swords Destruction number one, written by Jonathan Hickman and Tini Howard, uh, art by Pepe Larraz. Uh Now, before we talk about this, uh, we should really talk about how hard everybody worked and how we never want to put down the amount of work that people put into it. Yes. Um, uh, they drew this. They wrote this. There were editors who we really like who worked on this. Yes. Um, assistant editors, people who printed it. The staples were very nice in the book, and somebody had to put them yeah, in there. Yeah, this came together fast, and uh, they got it all done on time. There wasn't any delays. It's pretty impressive what they put there together. There you go, and that's our review of X of Swords. <laughs> I like this event. I thought it was fun and good, and I love where it turned up. Uh, it. We talked about this before, but... A lot of this was Saturnine in the background manipulating the situation to get it into a place where she got almost everything that she wanted, as we find out about the end. And the one thing that hitches me up a little bit is I don't care about Otherworld that much, just 
as yeah. a comics continuity and comic book fan. So having everything pivot on that uh, brought it down emotionally for me a little bit versus having a pivot on the X-Men themselves. Uh, but I do like the moves that they made here. Uh, I like where Apocalypse ended up. I thought the big battles were good. The art was phenomenal, uh, just like huge, big battle scenes, enormous monsters. The scale of it was great. And just individual characterizations, like uh, both Teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman write a great Ileana. I don't know yes. who specifically was uh, scripting her dialogue, but just super fun throughout this entire event. Just a really good event for her. And uh, it's good stuff. I also... I know Pete's going to disagree with this, but really good Cyclops stuff towards the end here. Yes. And I love the idea of like holding Cyclops and Marvel Girl in reserve until the end and then be like, no, fuck you. We're getting in there. We're going to solve this problem. And it really positions them in the place they should be at the lead of the X-Men. Um, so I enjoy this quite a bit. Um, I, I don't think it was a perfect event by any means, but I had a lot of fun. I had a blast reading it. Uh, Justin, what did you think about it? Uh, <laughs> we, Pete, um, we can get your haterade later in a second. Let, let's get adjusted first. A little more positive. The hater, the hater goes later is what we've always said. Um, I, I agree. This, I do like this event. The art across the board is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, it's a weird event. It's a weird as the first big event to have it be so, fantastical have it be so sort of like goofy at points um i agree with you like the cyclops and gene gray stuff it really felt like their ascension at the end of this event is what's important here and to see them sort of outside of just the bureaucracy of the the quiet council and maybe they can actually make some moves is exciting really establishing them as a family with um young cable i think is very cool um, Ilyana also stepped up a lot. The Apocalypse fight, uh, I don't know. I thought it was going to be a little bit more about Apocalypse, and it felt like just a fight. Um, yeah, it was like, what was and, that? Like, uh, it's interesting. I mean, we talked about this. We, we sort of predicted this, that, um, excuse me, Araka would be coming through to Krakoa, um, and with it, um, hundreds of mutants, I believe, from Araka. Millions, I think. Millions? millions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of people um, hanging out <laughs> in on the Earth, um, which I think I'm curious how that will affect the continuity. It feels like a lot to add, a continuity that's already pretty wild. Well, I think the thing that that adds, and maybe I'm wrong because who knows what is going on with the X-Men stuff. They they could set up that Araka is coming through and then not deal with it for 30 issues or something, you know? Yeah. But to me, it feels like suddenly millions of mutants show up. You suddenly have a destabilized world situation that is already on the edge because of Krakoa. Uh, when you bring the mutant population up to potentially pre-Genosha levels... Yeah. What does that do? What uh, what nations does that put on alert? And that puts the mutant state in a really, really bad place. As for Apocalypse, the thing that I did like is it ultimately got to this place, even though I feel like we didn't get enough fleshed out about the Annihilation Helmet, the idea that ultimately Apocalypse, A, is fundamentally changed by Krakoa enough that he can surrender, yeah. uh, but also that it is Apocalypse's will that manages to win the day felt like a smart decision, even if it wasn't maybe an action-wise satisfying decision. Pete, I know you're champion of the bit here. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, please. All right, so 
explain this to me. Okay, so they had... You gotta get your sword, you gotta get to the fight, okay? So then we learn that none of that matters because it's about this helmet that speaks to you and makes you annihilate everything. But um, once Apocalypse puts on the helmet, he realizes that he's not going to let a helmet control him, so he'll take a knee, and then that solves everything. And then, oh, Apocalypse, you won, and okay... I'm going to banish a whole island of people. Um, great. And then Scott Summers uh, and uh, Marvel Girl, who started this kind of whole thing with a bunch of weird meetings through time, decided this whole island that they helped create doesn't matter and fuck all y'all because I got to go save my son, which I understand. That's cool. But they had like a whole quiet council meeting and it didn't matter. So it was kind of like this whole but thing that we're trying to do. They threw it all out the window. It, hey, I'm trying to. I'm if trying Wolverine to did that, here. you would have loved it. And just because it's Scott, you don't like it. Oh, that's a bullshit thing true. to say. No, it's not. Wolverine does that um, every time. I'm just trying to wrap. I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole detour of the X Men world that we just took and why we did it. And the only thing I can come up with is giant alligators and dragons are cool, and fighting with swords would have been cool, but it didn't happen. Uh, we got drinking games and playing softball, um, and you know, like you know, people will say that they will get married at the drop of a hat in the X Men world. The the Cyclops thing, I do think a lot of this is about. A lot of this story so far has been about the X-Men, and we're not supposed to call them the X-Men, the mutants, they specifically say that in the book. There's a whole like the mutants, big paragraph, sort of scolding a, paragraph several about that. I know. Uh, yeah, I don't read the paragraphs. Uh, you should read the paragraphs, they're kind of important. Uh, nope. the, uh, the mutants have made this big move to become one mutant state. And from the writing perspective, I think what they've done is how much stress can we put on that? Yeah. How many things can we do to fracture that? And Saturday Night says, by the end, two people have left the Quiet Council. They're going to have to replace it. It's going to be the non-ideal picks. And now, uh, not just Scott Summers leaving with a small team to go save everybody, but everybody comes with him. Yeah. Which means, yes... It's the Mutants United, but it also means, as it states in this paragraph, which I do think are really important, uh, they've tried to ditch the X-Men name because it's something that's pre-Krakoa. It's an idea of, like, it's a moniker taken by Charles Xavier. It's not an example of... The Lollipop Man. Yes, Lollipop Man. Uh, It's not an example of the United Krakoa state. But the fact that Scott Summers is reclaiming this and that everybody's like, yes, we're X-Men, let's go, it's go time creates this friction there that's only going to get bigger suddenly once you suddenly have millions of mutants who have been slaves up to this point who we've never met before suddenly showing up so it means bad things for the outside world it also means bad things for Krakoa and Arako and dramatically that's a really good place to be putting everybody yeah I I agree with that um this run this crossover feels a lot like um Chris Claremont-esque like mid Chris Claremont run uh, where it's like epic stuff that involves things that are sort of far flung from actual X-Men and mutant world stuff, like getting with Lalandra and all that stuff where it's like continuity heavy where it's like, wait, what was that about that? I feel like that this will hold a similar place to a lot of that Claremont stuff. 
especially the otherworldness of it, which I agree with you. I don't love all that. And this whole like Captain, I know Excalibur was the second to last issue so that they'll have an outsized effect on it. But the Captain Britain core and all that, I was like, I don't. This feels like such a side quest yeah. that so much of this event landing on that felt like, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, it just it was just a lot. Just so uh, Cyclops could have a Jerry Maguire moment of like, who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? What did you think about the part where Cyclops said, show me the money, though? That was pretty cool. That yeah, was, that was touching. Right. It was and very what about um, Wolverine yeah, yeah. played by Jonathan Lipnicki? <laughs> I know he, he, he's too tall. He's very too short. Tall. I don't know. He's who a Jonathan tiny. Lipnicki you is, you so. just referenced Jerry Maguire. He's the kid. He's the little kid that said, "Did you know the human head weighs oh, eight pounds?" Oh, he's the kid yeah. with the spike yeah. tear. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's got a great oh, okay. arm. What would you think about Renee Zelliger playing uh, Jonathan Lipnicki? Is what I want to say. <laughs> Renee playing oh, Jonathan gosh. Lipnicki. Yeah, oh, interesting. Playing Wolverine. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. With her little, uh, with yeah. a little lemon face. Ooh, yeah, just a pursed lip. <laughs> Suck on a lemon. I'm the best there is at what I, I do, and I what I do what is this doing. little face. She's a good actress. Doing. Yeah. Uh, all right, that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support the show and other shows we do, Patreon.com's Wait. what. <laughs> Do you guys think this whole thing was worth it for that ending? Like, did you guys didn't feel let down at all by the fact of like this fight wasn't a fight? It was just a I a, can we make apocalypse kneel and then like having Cyclops just ditch everyone because he wanted to go somewhere it. else? Yeah, I liked it too. I think uh, there were enough big moments, particularly in these last couple of issues, that I really just enjoyed from an artistic, from a big action perspective, literally using the sword space station as a sword to pierce uh, a wormhole and attack these evil armies, just the huge armies attacking everybody, the X-Men jumping through directly at the screen, um, the fairy soldiers or whatever it was jumping through, uh, good stuff. Just like a lot of people like coming from the sky and heading straight towards camera was a lot of fun. And like, it's, Um, it's surprising. Like a lot of Hickman, big storytelling, like you'd never, you can't predict it. It's sometimes a little weird and wooly, but it's like in the end, it's really well thought out and smart and, um, and very difficult to predict, which I like in storytelling in general, especially comic book storytelling. It's also something that, relatively speaking, felt like a complete story, which I don't think we've gotten in a really long time with events. It's usually by the latter half. It's all about setting up what's next. And certainly we get a fair amount of setup. But this started with the story of Otherworld ended with the story of Otherworld, and that's what it was in between. You know, it went on a bunch of side trips, but ultimately it all came together that way, and um, that is pleasing to me from a story perspective. It was pleasing, we say. It was pleasing to me. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Crowdcast and YouTube. We would love to talk to you about X of Swords. That's going to be our big topic of conversation over the next, I would say, It's it's Ten of Swords, but there's going to be no fighting. Oh, you're going to love it. It's going to be smart. There was a bunch of fighting. There's going to be a lady who you get confused with the Ice Queen the whole time, but then it's not her, even though it looks exactly like her. But, oh, it's going to be great. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you being racist towards white blonde women? <laughs> yes, wow. Karen, I am. This took wow. an odd turn at the end, just like <laughs> the X of Swords. 
There you go. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, uh, check out the bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Couches and they let the secrets leak And occasionally they